I was given the diary. We've certainly got some great material. My name is James, and my dad has kept a diary each day since 1987. Born with insight and a raised fist, a witness to the slit wrist as we move into 92, still in a room without a view. You gotta know, you gotta know that when I say go, 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 amplify, amplify, defy. I'm a brother with a furious mind, action must be taken. We don't need the key, we'll break in. Break into a, another diary. We're back for the Half-Life of Brian podcast. My name is James Carlberg and I'm here with the keeper of the diaries themselves are my co-host, Brian Carlberg. Did that make a lick of sense to you there, Dad? Uh, well, not really, but I've just, I've cheated and I've looked at the uh, screen and realised it's uh, lyrics of Rage Against the Machine, isn't it? Not much gets past you, does it? <laughs> yeah, Otherwise I wouldn't have known a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the key bit, as we move into 92, we're here for 1992's diary. We've had a bit of time off. Taking in the sun a little bit. It's been very sunny here in Ooh, the UK. It has, it has indeed. Caught ourselves on a rainy day. Yeah. Uh, and we've had lots of lots of planning to do. We've been, we've had recently. We did our um, pre brystery podcast that was out. Yeah. Before. Oh yes, yeah, a little short one. And we're thinking about the next one as well. Yeah. Which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Yeah. Um, but we're on to the main diaries themselves, and we're back looking at 1992. If you haven't checked out any of our other content already, we've got. Several years previous of the, the diaries. Yeah, 87 to uh, 91 so far. So there's five so far. We've got a, this is our sixth. Perfect, perfect yeah. stuff. Yeah. Without further ado, let's crack on and crack open another diary. Let's start where the best place is always to start, at the start of the year in 1992. Yes, the very first entry in uh, 1992, we splashed out and decided to go and see the new year abroad. So. As a young family, your mum and I, and uh, you know, two young sons, you were, you were six and Alan was four, we went to uh, Fort Ventura in the Canary Isles. And it says in the diary, we went to the airport by taxi for 5.15 a.m. 1st of uh, January, 1992. And we flew out to Fort Ventura at 7.30 a.m. And arriving at Caleta de Fust, Castillo Beach Park at 12.30. So uh, we were, by midday of uh, New Year's Day, we were in our uh, our nice little uh, flat in um, Fort Ventura. I can remember driving the transfer from the airport. Now we're talking about 1992. And uh, you know, we're, we're, we're the best part of 30 years on, 28 years on now. That's been an area of great development, I think. And uh, it's probably, a really, really built-up, uh, happening sort of place now, that island. But when we went... A bit of volcanic rock. There was really. nothing there. I remember the first thing that uh, struck me as we were in the, the taxi. Uh, this is what Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin must have felt like <laughs> when we were on the, the lunar rover. <laughs> because it just looked like a moonscape everywhere. Anyway, the, the place... No, no Union Jack shorts, though, for them, probably. No, no, not yeah. then, we, we weren't, no. It was a there was a bit of a breeze blowing because because it, it's it was January you know and uh, so it wasn't but it was nice and sunny and uh, we uh, as I say we settled in we got uh, Ross Kemp of uh, EastEnders uh, fame was in the uh, 
the apartment block that we we were in, and he he, he walked past past the front of our uh, patio a few times during the holiday. Ross Kemp on holiday. Yeah, yeah. On. A bit more hair then. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, we, we we had a well as we usually do. We like to explore around, and so we went to uh, Rosario the the second day, the capital of the island, which was I put in me in my diary in practice a bit of a dump. But uh, I can imagine that's probably different now as well. So but, uh, any listeners on the Canaries, yeah, yeah, apologies, it, but it, it it got lovely beaches, nice sandy beaches, because I think it, it uh, has the, um, the the winds of the uh, the Western Sahara blow across, and the, the the settle over on these the volcanic island, which is Fort uh, Ventura, and it's got some lovely sandy beaches, which is in contrast to some of the uh, the other Canary Islands. Good rescue there, Dad. Uh, oh, rescued, mate. Yeah, I'm, I'm well in now with the uh, the Fort Adventure Tourist Board. After that, <laughs> I get a freebie. Hola. <laughs> but uh, we, we we actually escaped the island one day because it was we done everything there was to see, you know, because it was as I say, a bit of a moonscape at the time, and uh, we went on a ferry from uh, the, the the capital to. Uh, to Lanzarote for the day, so we had it, we actually had a day in Lanzarote, but uh, that was memorable really for the the fact that it was a really stormy sea. I said I said it was windy, didn't I when we went? And uh, there wasn't many people on this ferry, and uh, I think I know why. <laughs> they must have seen the the the, the sea forecast because uh, we were getting tossed and turned. There was a uh, there was glasses falling off shelves and tables and chairs sliding across the. Uh, Across the room that we were in, I, 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 with gritted teeth, I was holding on, and I, and I thought, I thought we were going to tip up. <laughs> it was, uh, it was a bit scary, but uh, anyway, we had, we had some nice sunshine there, and we lazed around the apartment and pool and, and what have you, have you for the rest of the week. Yeah. You, you fell in the pool with all your clothes on at, at one stage when you were charging around. This is too soon, Dad. Yes. <laughs> I, I, this is one of probably one of my earliest memories. I very vividly. Uh, quite a traumatic experience. I, I, I remember dragging the sunbed right to the edge of the pool. Yes. I don't know why. Yeah. Then sitting on it and catapulting it yeah. over my head. And over you went and under, under you went. Into the pool yeah. and a sunbed landed on top of me at, at the yeah. tender age. Of, and that sort, of, that sort of shit sticks with you. Yeah. Well, I was soon in to help, help the pool you out. And uh, it, I remember it was very cold. The pool was freezing. You know, it was, uh, had to get in like to get you out. <laughs> but, uh, the shock of the cold was as, as much as anything. Anyway, we came back. I remember the first day back to work, I was on 7 till 3. Uh, and it says in the diary, freezing cold. It was January after all. Pouring with rain, dark and howling wind for a bike ride to work. I knew I was back in England. <laughs> Early in that, that year as well, uh, I'd started to do my first year of the OU study so I was, I was trying to nail down doing these tutor mark assignments and uh, and plowing through all, all that sort of work and uh, I decided which is quite topical at the moment because your, your brother's doing exactly the same at the moment I uh, I decided we'd fit a new kitchen in Arden Street because we'd got these tired old MDF orange coloured cupboards which were pretty horrendous and uh, and ancient. I'd forgotten about those. They were, yeah, they were disgusting. Yeah, yeah. So I, I took them all down off the wall and ripped all the units out. It was quite new at the time. These carousel units in the corner where you 
you open the door to your twirler, that's a spinny round bit that you, you brings all your, you put the saucers around for you. You like that? It was very hard to fit that was for, for me at the time. Especially being as I'd, uh, I'd hurt myself playing football. Because I was still playing football uh, at weekends when I could, when I wasn't at work. And uh, I was playing for the White Horse at the time. And but I, we played against Frank Parkers. Frank Parker, the butcher, always had a, a good football team. And uh, it was in the, the Nuneaton Premier League, it was. And, uh, but Frank, Frank Parker, the butcher, makes him sound like a murderer or something like that. Yeah, no, he, no he's, he was one of the UK's top uh, purveyors of quality meats. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I've got to say this: we lost three two to uh, Frank Parkers, and uh, then I got injured. It hurt my shoulder, but we were winning two one when I had to come off. So it wasn't my fault that we lost. <laughs> and uh, so I was trying to do this: juggle the OU, go to work, and uh, fit this kitchen, all with a. A bad shoulder and it, it wouldn't go away this bad i couldn't lie on it at night and i actually had to have a few days off work it says here in the diary uh i went and i went to the manor hospital dr gooding who was a new doctor at the time sent me uh to the manor hospital so i went there and they, they had a, a look at it and it was it said something about the, the ligament uh, being pulled or out of place or something and uh, i had to put a sling on so there I was doing it, getting the kitchen one armed after that, and uh, trying to trying to muddle through with this uh, this injury that would wouldn't leave me for about a month. Well, that's a thirty six year old still trying to play football. You see, at the time I was probably getting to be a bit past it, but I wouldn't admit it. So con- contrast in January. Yeah, yeah. Of course, we've got to mention um, we always have a little dip into the fortunes of uh, our football team, Newcastle. What contrasts they were having this uh, this year in 1992? They were uh, on the brink of getting relegated to the uh, the old third division. So uh, Ozzy Ardiles was the uh, incumbent manager who uh, was relieved of his position and replaced by the uh, great Kevin Keegan. Who'd, uh, who'd graced himself as a, a player for us at the, at the end of his career, decided to come back and try and rescue the team. Pointed. He's famously a fan of the club itself. Oh, yes, yes. Well, he's got a... He, he was the son of a of a Durham miner himself. Lot, lot, largely the same of the same as, as you. Uh, me, rather, with uh, your granddad, Charlie. And, uh, You've never seen a mine in your life? No, I haven't. <laughs> and... Uh, Bobby Robson, of course, was the same. You know, he was from Doncaster, I think. Also, was it Doncaster? Yes, I think. Yes, he was from Doncaster, Kevin Keegan, and uh, but he's he'd been regaled of stories about the the club that his dad loved, and uh, that's what happens. There's quite a few lads in Addison who will uh, vouch for this. A second generation will all uh, identify with that story, and uh, Kevin Keegan was no different, and he, he managed to rescue them from relegation. I remember they had the. Uh, a game where they they had to beat Portsmouth, and uh, David Kelly scored a, a last-minute goal to, to make the, the great escape was on after that, you know. And then uh, the, the final game of the season was at Leicester against Leicester City, and uh, we uh, we wanted to go to the match, well, the Addiston lads, and uh, we couldn't get tickets, but we went anyway. I remember going with uh, with Darren, Darren Story, 
and we had to run the gauntlet of, uh, of police and stewards who were trying to block people who hadn't got tickets from getting anywhere near the ground. And uh, anyway, we managed to get to the ground. We were trying to buy a ticket, we couldn't get one. And uh, we, this sounds like we're making this up, but this is the God's honest truth. We bumped into Kevin Keegan at the players' entrance, and uh, we gave him a sob story. Kevin, Kevin, we've got no tickets. <laughs> Help us. And bless him, he said, hang on lads, I'll see what I can do. He went in and he came back out the uh, official's entrance and uh, presented us with one ticket. He says, I could only get one, he says. He says, hope this helps. So we were grateful to him. Uh, Martin Stretton had it, a Manchester United supporter. Tagging along. But he was with us. And uh, but because we couldn't, uh, we, we couldn't all get in together, he, uh, when he ended up... Uh, Selling it, I think, which was a shocking thing to do. Really, but we couldn't. But the three of us, we couldn't. Uh, we couldn't get in together, so we decided not to, not to go in at all. And uh, yeah, we bumped into Kevin Keegan that day. And anyway, the upshot of that was we won that game, two one, to save ourselves from relegation, which was uh, absolutely brilliant, great result. And uh, when the season was to restart, the next season later on, of course, was. Uh, was going to be the first of the Premier League seasons, and uh, and it's history. You know, Kevin Keegan took Newcastle straight to the top then of uh, the uh, the first division, as it was, with a ready for for, for promotion. Uh, Leeds had won the the, the previous seasons uh, early in the year, the last of the old first division championships. Leeds United and um, we picked Manchester United to win. We went to lots and lots of games then. Uh, when the new season started because we'd go like 10 games on the run winning every match you know with uh, Keegan at the album he'd signed uh, uh, Robert Lee and uh, Barry Venison and uh, uh, Kevin Sheedy and players like that I can remember going to one match at, uh, at Peterborough with uh, Lars and, and Darren and the lads and uh, we had uh, there was 10,000 Newcastle fans there at Peterborough and we couldn't all get in, so we were all just standing outside the ground. It's a tiny time. ground, Peterborough, isn't it? Yeah, I used to, yeah, used to yeah. live there. It's oh, very, really very small. Yeah. Like, but, uh, anyway, traditional ground, but all of this is uh, is all it's all very interesting to the the, the Newcastle uh, lads and the the, the Aberston branch of the Newcastle supporters club, but uh, it's all totally overshadowed by the the fact that. One of our number, uh, the youngest as well, young Andrew Kerr, who came to all the games with us that year in the struggling part of the season and also at the start of the Keegan Revolution, if you like. He was tragically uh, tragically killed in a, a car accident in December. Put the cap on everything, you know, never mind what the football team was doing then. That was just overshadowed everything. And uh, it was very, very sad uh, end to the year that was. Um, Andrew Kerr, he's only sixteen. He was a he was a a, a lovely lad, up and coming uh, boxer as well. He was very, very athletic and fit and uh, tragic. He was uh, just uh, in a friend's a friend's car as a passenger, and uh, we had a crash. 
near the football club in Aberystwyth, and uh, he sadly, sadly died of his uh, injuries. That uh, that really is, is enough about uh, about Newcastle for for nineteen ninety two because um, you know you just, there's just no coming back from that. That uh, that overshadowed everything without a shred of a doubt. At least the team were doing well at that point for yes for his sakes. Oh yes, he saw the, he saw the start of it. Bless him, he saw the start of the Keegan Revolution. Okay, so we've talked. Don't got the football chat out of the way. Yeah. A little bit. I'm sure it'll rear its. Oh yeah. Big black and white head. Uh, at some point. Yes, I was. I was rambling on a bit there, folks. Too a bit. There was a lot happened. Very important stuff. Mm-hmm. But we've got to look more broadly as well, haven't we? Oh yes. This podcast yeah. is about everything yeah. that goes on. Yeah. Locally, globally, and importantly, this week I'm going to bring us a special edition of Brian. Down with the kids, with right. a Z, for 1992, mm. and it's going to be based on, for once, fictional characters. Oh, right. And fictional characters from the world of video games. Oh, now, right. this is interesting because we're at a point in time where you were a bit of a hero of mine when it came to video games, bizarrely. <laughs> which is completely on the heads now because you don't know how to pick the, the no. damn things up no. when you get handed them <laughs> yeah. in a minute. Well, computers were in their infancy then, and uh, but we did have a, 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 a Commodore Amiga, I think we had, didn't we? And, uh, That's right. A, a couple of different uh, Amigas anyway, and, and they had very simplistic games on them. I can remember the first one had like a, a cassette deck with it, and you had to plug the cassette in, and it downloaded uh, Hangman and things like that, which was. You don't get more basic than that. Triple <laughs> A uh, title of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I used to watch you play. Yeah. Uh, Lemmings. I used to yeah. watch you play that fantastic Captain Planet game. Oh that yes, we, yeah, we yeah. Were Looking at the other day. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, and crazy music as well. Yeah, it was all <laughs> over the place. Real like just Norton ones type. Yeah. Uh, yeah. MIDI music yeah. going all yeah. all over the shop. Yeah. Um, but there were some real iconic video game characters and video games devised this year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you the name of a character mm-hmm. and then you're going to tell me, so it's getting tougher, Right. the name of the video game that you think they're from. I will accept if, right. more general answers as well. I don't, if you know specifics, I'll be incredibly impressed. <laughs> However, are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So the first video game character, 1992, is Sub-Zero. Right. Yeah, that could have been in the game we had, Captain Planet. No, I no. see where you, I see where you're thinking's coming from. Because there was like a frosty guy in that. I seem to remember at one of the levels, like an ice 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 fellow, powers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, no. No, I got it wrong. We, it is a game that we had though. <laughs> yeah. If I said the words Mortal Kombat to you, all right, I've heard of that. Yes. Yeah. Would that make sense? Yes, I've heard of it, but I don't think I ever played that one. No, it's a game you probably shouldn't have bought us at the time. No, uh, oh, was it? Oh dear! But it was, <laughs> it was uh, under eighteen. <laughs> one, yeah, at the time, it was one of those games that really yeah. it uh, it had artificial blood in it. Oh. Uh, and um, this explains a lot how you turned out. <laughs> <laughs> so Sub Zero, he was a, he was a character who oh, had right. ice okay. powers yeah. and abilities yeah. and that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that's a uh, that's. No good so far. No, I've scored through a blank. Right. Uh, number two, uh, Tails. Tails, right. 
Uh, Give a bit of a clip from a very, very famous video game series that was out. Very famous video game series. Right. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes. Whoa! Yes. That was a complete guess. Now, which 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 Sonic the Hedgehog? <laughs> oh, I'm just overjoyed that I've got that. Well, there's different ones. Well, you've got Sonic 1, 2 and 3 in this era. Which one are you going for? Uh, we'll go in the middle, 2. Sonic 2! Oh! There you go. <laughs> the folks will think this is rigged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he had a, a, a sidekick called uh, Tails, who was a two-tailed right. fox. Of course he did, yes. Yeah. <laughs> His full, full name was Miles Prower. Tails right. Miles Prower. Right, now I'm just well, I'm just basking in the fact that I've managed to... Uh, Jamily get one, get one right. <laughs> okay, so that's one out of yeah, two, yeah, amazingly. Yeah, um, yeah. And the last one is, there's a bit of a clue in the name of this one as well. Yeah. Wario. Well, that's a bit of a giveaway because that's got to have to be Super Mario, isn't it? The Super Mario Brothers, is it? Yes, but yes. Why, why Wario? You'll get points for this. Wario, why Wario? Uh, uh, the misspelt is his uh, twin brother's name or something like that. <laughs> so dyslexia or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I've I've no idea. It's an evil version. <laughs> oh, an evil version. Evil right. version okay, of Mario. Yeah. So they just turned the Mario upside down. Yeah. He was a plumber, wasn't he? Was he a plumber? He was a plumber. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't know about uh, Wario. Probably, yeah. you know, what evil plumbers what they do? Charge you, overcharge you, or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, I've got two out of three. So I'll say, I'll give you two out of three. Oh, well, so well, hey, hey. Oh. You, you're absolutely slamming this week on week. Wrap up the uh, podcast now. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, down with the kids. Yeah. 1992 video game yeah. edition. He's done it again. Well, that's better than last one. Oh, I've only got one and a half in the last one, didn't I? So <laughs> two again. Very good. Yeah. So that's our, our video game births. Yeah. Also, we have... Um, significant departures within yes. each year. As oh, well. yes, yes, yes. 1992, yes, yes. sticking with the theme of media, yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. big, big thing I never talked about back yeah. in 1990, mm -hmm. was this This was the year of when I remember seeing Batman Returns. Batman Returns was the big All right, yeah. film out yeah. of that yeah. summer. And that's yeah. the point where I remember seeing the 1990 and 1992 films and thinking, Batman's real. Yes. <laughs> Batman is real. Yeah. Well, I, of course, I was brought up on Adam West and uh, Burt Ward in the in the sixties. It, it was Batman to me, and I, I can remember thinking that was real even then. When he used to be, you know, walking up the side of the buildings with the with the bat rope, which is obviously the camera just turned to him ninety degrees when they were on the flat, <laughs> and they'd uh, they'd talk to somebody who'd stick their head out the window, sort of thing, and uh, so warn them not to try try this at home, folks. We can't fly. We have no powers. They used to have to say that before each programme because there were some batty people who used to actually, pardon the pun, used to try and jump off buildings and stuff like that and emulate Batman. I mean, I look back now, you see yeah. uh, you see Jack Nicholson's Joker yeah. and Danny DeVito's portrayal of the... the uh, penguin. The Penguin. Yeah. Uh, and the, the rather, you know, at that age, confusing representation of uh, Catwoman yeah. in all that S&M gear. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> at that age, tender age. Um, yeah. and, but that's quite camp in itself now. Oh, oh it is, yeah, yeah. But at yeah. the time, it was like, this is the yeah, comic book, yeah, this is yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. I used to like the Riddler. Uh, Frank Gorshin was the, was the Riddler in the in the old uh, series, and he was a fantastic actor, he was. A brilliant impressionist as well. 
Unfortunately, it wasn't either one, right? But uh, I'm going back far too far for people to remember. <laughs> Stick with the modern ones. So I mean, so that was it. Yeah, a lot of the that was yeah. that was 1992, yeah, yeah, but yeah. and video games were mentioned out before. Yeah, but yeah. people from from the era that you've just mentioned, the yeah. 1960s, yeah. there were people who were very famous during that area who 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 left the stage. Oh yes, yes. Uh, well, staying with the. Of course, when we're talking about these these demises, I've already mentioned, and I'll, I'll say it again, they're, they're all overshadowed to me by young young Andy, young Andy's yeah. career, you know. But uh, going back to, to the others, we had a, an actual demise of a, a superhero. A Superman. character. Superman. I don't know who, who did it. I just, uh, do I just you want me to take it from here? Yes, go on, take it from here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's, this is the famous uh, Death of Superman yeah. story arc that um, very controversially got very badly adapted in recent years. All right. Uh, because they made the turn Do Doomsday, who's the character who eventually kills Superman. All right. They kind of made him into some weird big grey testicle monster. <laughs> um, oh, dear. <laughs> which wasn't really in keeping with how threatening he is in the comic. Um, but um, the idea behind Doomsday is he is a genetically engineered uh, being that has been killed and resurrected over and over until the point that he becomes tougher than Superman. Oh, wow. And then when the just he arrives yeah. and he gets wiped, yeah. the Justice League are kind of like, shit. How do we deal with him? <laughs> We've kind of lost our MVP. Yeah. Uh, what What do we do without him? Yeah. And then, yeah. so the it was a, a controversial uh, storyline at the time because. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's one of the, the he's the superhero, right? He's well, the yeah. the yeah. original. How can you beat unless you got a, a bag of uh, kryptonite? How are you going to beat Superman? Yeah. Well, I forget <laughs> how they, they. I don't know whether they, they kind of do a similar thing with yeah. with, with Doomsday, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's quite. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a fun story. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, Superman, that's a hell of a one to start off yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. Well, while we're talking about fantasy, uh, another big departure that year is the, the famous sci fi writer Isaac Asimov, who was at the time he was uh, up there with the, the great the big three, the big three as they called them, with Arthur C. Clarke and Robert Heinlein. Uh, Asimov, of course, was uh, his, his famous uh, for. The Foundation and Empire series, and uh, probably people who are listening to this are more familiar with iRobot, which was his uh, invention. And uh, from iRobot, of course, the three laws of robotics. Number one was a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Don't hurt people, okay. Yeah, yeah. and two was a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. So if yeah. I asked a robot to kill you, yeah. it wouldn't be able it to? It wouldn't be able to, no. no. And thirdly, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I can see why that would, yeah. it, that would make the basis of a good story, because it's yeah. not about sticking to rules and yeah. conflicts and... Yeah. I guess as, as, as human beings, we, we have the capacity and, and we're able to do all of those things. Mm -hmm. But when you, ha when you have the... Because the film version was made famous by Will Smith. Will Smith, yeah. yeah. And it was yeah. kind of touched upon. There was like a fugitive, a robot yeah. fugitive that comes That's off. That's right, yeah, yeah. Who breaks his, seems to break his programming or break the yeah. three laws. Yeah. 
I don't know how close that is to the book. Yeah. Really, uh, really interesting. Really, really uh, fascinating when you think. I mean, Asimov was thinking of these things in the fifties, you know, which is we really have amazing minds. These these guys with because it's. And, what, I mean, every other every yeah, other yeah. film or TV show has yeah. a. A rogue AI or yeah, artificial yeah, intelligence. Yeah, yeah, and he probably was the you know the first one to really make a, something big out of it. <laughs> on the uh, on the lighter side of entertainment, with, with uh, people who left us, we lost Benny Hill and Frankie Howard, both in uh, 1992. Benny Hill, of course, the uh, famous for his uh, his. his his raunchy, naughty, uh, slightly sexist and slightly racist and slightly homophobic sketches, I suppose. Speaking about laws, he's not going to pass the Bechdel test anyway. No, no, no. <laughs> Benny, there's no Benny Hill. I mean, he, that, you could never, never show his, his stuff today because it's, uh, it's it's not acceptable, you know. But it was uh, it was of its time again. That was. And uh, Frankie Howard again. He was uh, he his his humour was all uh, innuendo, you know, and and light sort of not smut as such, but uh, sort of skirting around the edges of it. Uh, he yeah, he he, he played uh, some a character called Lurkio in uh, Up Pompeii, which was big at the time, and he was forever making asides to the camera where he was being one on one with the viewer and uh, talking to you, you know, which was. Quite, quite a, a clever uh, way of doing things. He was in a few carry-on films as well, which, are, again, they were that sort of thing. You see them on the telly, don't you? Enough, but I mean, that's, that yeah. sort of thing is yeah. quite interesting to, to mention because, yeah. you know, that is that is what you call uh, like a meta-device, meta-narrative, yeah. where you break the fourth wall and the person who is at speaks to the audience. Yes, yes, yes. And that's yes, carried through yes, to yes. modern comedy, oh, like yeah, yeah. Fleabag and... Yeah. Um, Oliver Hardy used to do it. Yes, and, yes. And Laurel and Hardy. He'd, uh, whenever Stan Stanley did something stupid, he he turned to the camera, you know, look at the camera and, and have an exasperated look on his face, as if to elicit sympathy from me, you know, look at what I've got to put up with, sort of thing. <laughs> That's very very clever. But yeah, yeah, Frankie Howard and, and Benny Hill, the, the, the and Anthony Perkins uh, passed away. The uh, the actor famous for Psycho, the Hitchcock film. Which was uh, he died of uh, sixty died of AIDS actually. The, those eyes at the end of uh, oh yeah yeah, yeah. when he's, he's looking at the fly and the the, the wall in the uh, Hitchcock's scary. Psycho at the end yeah. and uh, the shower scene and all that sort of thing and, and that and those yeah very I mean that's 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 Hitchcock but it's yeah. it's yeah. groundbreaking yeah. the way that film oh yeah subverted expectations and he's yeah he's a massive part of that isn't oh, he oh definitely sort of yeah. yeah sinister. Yeah. It terrified me. Terrified me. Yeah. At the time, and uh, I was also going to move on. But uh, he's still an actor. Uh, Denham Elliott used to be a famous uh, English actor who played in many uh, support roles in lots and lots of films. You've all seen him in. Uh, I'll mention him in particular because he had a, a double, a doppelganger, who lived in Addiston. And uh, he, this fellow actually used to work at the 3M. I, I'm sad, sadly, I don't know his name. But whenever I saw him around the town, I'd, I'd think to myself, there's Denham. 
I don't know if he's still around. If, I hope he is. I hope he hasn't uh, gone the same way as Denham. So but, you're uh, expecting to be accompanied by Harrison Ford dressed as an archaeologist? Yes, something <laughs> like that, yeah. You said all those uh, where they needed an Englishman in a supporting role, he was normally there, yeah. And, yeah, uh, Indiana, Indiana Jones is probably his fam- most fa- the most famous series I've seen of it. Oh, all right, you remember him from that? Yeah. Thing? Okay, yeah. Oh, I think he's, a, he's a, one of these that pops up. He pops up all the time. Uh, Jim Garrison. Not many people might know who Jim Garrison is, but uh, he was the uh, Louisiana District Attorney who uh, insisted that uh, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, there was more to it than just uh, Lee Harvey Oswald being responsible from up in the uh, the top of the uh, Texas book uh, repository. Uh, he he believed the the grassy knoll theory and that there was uh, some sort of CIA uh, link to it and that uh, they wanted uh, rid of Kennedy because he was going uh, soft on Vietnam and stuff like that. And uh, if anyone's ever seen uh, Oliver Stone's uh, film JFK, that's all about Jim Garrison and uh, all about uh, his, uh, his fight to prove that there was a, a conspiracy. Is that the Kevin Costner role? That he uh, Kevin, Kevin Costner plays him, yes, that's yeah. right, yeah. And uh, it's a, a brilliant film, really, really well uh, made. And, and you watch it and you, you're convinced, anyone who's seen JFK, the film, will come out of it convinced that there's uh, you know more to it than than, than there was and uh, it, it, it it plays the uh, famous Zapruder footage there's a, a, a guy called uh, Zapruder who had a Abraham Zapruder Abraham Zapruder had a I think it was is it 8 mil uh, or 30 mil uh, city camera yeah. and he was standing uh, between you know the, the road and the grassy knoll Filming everything that went on, and he filmed it in all its gory display as it as it as it happened, you know. And it's very very famous footage. If anybody hasn't seen it, there's a Bruder footage. It, a lot of uh, Garrison's uh, work was, was you know the theories were based around that footage. So what what's the, what's the evidence for it? Or the I mean, it's said about the films put across as quite a convincing argument, but there must. Jim Garrison being a real person, yeah, there must have been some well factual basis behind it, or well, I hate to be, I hate to to to, to pour cold water on the conspiracy theorists, but um, Oliver Stone wanted to make a movie, and he, and and so he didn't necessarily have to uh, tell the truth in everything that he did because he just wanted bums on seats in the theatre, didn't he? And I can remember. Uh, Believing it completely after seeing the film and thinking, yeah, there was there was a conspiracy, and then I, I read a an article in the newspaper um, uh, a few weeks after I'd seen the film. Uh, I think it was a, the Guardian did it, a, a great big uh, editorial on it, and uh, it absolutely pulled the film completely to pieces. It did, and uh, you you realise then you think well sometimes these conspiracy theories uh, folks uh, they draw you in and get you to believe uh, absolute nonsense you know the uh, I think Garrison was uh, was talking about the mag- the magic bullet theory in the film where this bullet was supposed to go you know through one person through a seat through another then then 
going a different direction and zigzag back through somebody else. Uh, but uh, it, it was all uh, it, 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 could, it was all pulled to pieces anyway in this this article that I read, which uh, we'll post it up, shall we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can make your own minds up then. <laughs> yes, very. <different laughs> anyway, Jim Garrison. <laughs> that was uh, that was uh, he, he left us in nineteen ninety two. What's up next then? Because we, yeah. we started at the start of the year yeah. and then we went yeah. off on our uh, sci fi tangent. Yeah, we did. So where to yeah. next then? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we. Uh, we went, uh, I, I actually uh, was given a, a really interesting assignment that uh, at work in March, I was, uh, I was told by my boss, Arthur Osop, that uh, he wanted me to go with a delegation to uh, our sister plant at 3M in, uh, in Beauchamp in Paris and, uh, and do a, a report on the stick handling system that they have there in their maker. Nobody will know what, what I'm talking about there. But it's a it's a key part of the key part of the plant, and uh, and uh, so I went. I went with uh, two or three other people from the factory, and uh, we were looked at in Beauchamp in Paris. And uh, I spent uh, a couple of days pouring all over the uh, what they call the maker. Well, they had a, a very similar one in uh, in Paris, and but they did things differently. So I I was just trying to find out. What they did different and what they did better than us, so spying mission, if you like, and then uh, I came back with this dossier and report that I, I made, and uh, the uh, the plant manager in Addison uh, liked it, and, uh, and my, my boss uh, Arthur was pleased with it, and so I got uh, a, a pat on the back for for doing something which was a pleasure to do, really, because I'd never done anything like that before. Did you just make up a spy story narrative about a sandpaper? Yes. That's, that's pretty much what I heard. Yes. <laughs> what about the wider family? So we, we, we talked about the, the the Kennedy assassination. We've talked about Isaac Asimov. Mm. Um, Grandma was up to her old tricks again. Grandma was very very active in, uh, in local politics uh, at, at that time. She was a foot soldier for the, uh, the local conservative association. And would go out uh, knocking on doors and posting. Like she actually stood for the council once and got was narrowly beaten uh, as a, a candidate. And uh, I've, I've mentioned before that uh, my, my mum, mum, and your grandma and the granddad were on polar opposites. Your granddad had uh, a political would, horseshoe. Would re, yeah, he would regale me with stories of how he'd uh, he'd marched against the uh, the fascists. Uh, before the Second World War, and uh, told me how he'd actually thrown a brick through the window of the meeting hall uh, where the uh, black shirts were meeting in uh, in South Shields at the time, quite proudly, you know, and was always a being a, a Durham miner, you know, his allegiance was with the uh, with the workers sort of thing, and uh, <laughs> Grandma was quite the opposite. There was quite a funny incident I've got in the diary in nineteen. She's not a black shirt, just a. No, 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 no. She's a, she's very very moderate, very moderate. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you make twin, twin, like twin, twin set and pearls, blue rinse, uh, <laughs> conservative uh, lady, and she actually was introduced to Margaret Thatcher in March. Oh wow! Of uh, nineteen ninety two by two, uh, two iron ladies meet. Yeah, two iron ladies meet by. Uh, I've got, by Francis uh, Maud, who was the uh, incumbent uh, North Warwickshire MP at the time, and uh, it was a reward for you know for the the, the hard work that uh, people 
behind the scenes do, so, I suppose. And uh, she was thrilled to bits with that, meeting her. But uh, recently, <laughs> recently she said she wasn't, she, she seemed very unkempt and untidy, uh, Grandma said, about Margaret Thatcher, which I found very, very interesting. <laughs> and uh, Grandad Charlie liked a, loved a, a pint in the Black Horse. We've talked about the Black Horse. Uh, he used to go there on a Sunday dinner time. And uh, somebody uh, planted, a pocket, uh, planted in his back pocket when he had a few. Uh, a copy of the socialist worker <laughs> for him to, when he got home for he, for grandma to find on him so uh, there's a there's a bit of a dirty rotten trick that was <laughs> but uh I don't know, he got away with it so was Thatcher a, she was still a serving mp or was it a cabinet at this point no she uh had finished hadn't she because uh, john major had taken over yeah and uh she became a baroness in 1992, the House of Lords. was put in the House of Lords, so I've got that in, it's in the diary that is, and uh, of course we had a general election as well in in April, the Conservatives won uh, the general election, so Major, you know, got to stay as Prime Minister, and uh, unusually for for this area uh, these days, but uh, then uh, uh, Francis Moore lost his seat. In North Warwickshire, even though the Tories won the election, uh, and Mike O'Brien, the Labour candidate, uh, won. Uh, I remember having a chat with Mike O'Brien, and uh, he used to be a visitor at 3M quite a lot. And uh, I had a chat with him on the on the shop floor. He's a uh, he's a nice guy. He actually did very well in uh, in government himself. He, he rose to be a, a junior minister in uh, Labour government. Mike O'Brien. But uh, yeah, it broke the trend a bit. North Warwickshire voted the Labour MP, and then even though the uh, the Conservatives won the election, and because uh, it was a key key year as well, that was for for politics because uh, the, uh, the the Maastricht vote happened in uh, in nineteen ninety two as well. So that was uh, there was only twelve countries then in the EU. So what what is Mas what is Maastricht? Where where is it? What is it? Well, it's a little town in Holland, but uh, it's where they, they they met to have the uh, to vote to uh, to bring the twelve countries closer together in economic union and freedom of movement and that. And um, so it's, it's the we, birth, we, it's the birth we, of the we, EU we signed, as we now know it. The birth of the EU as we now know it, and we signed up for everything except one thing. Uh, they managed to bring the Conservative government. Uh, listen to this one, folks. They signed up for for everything. Except uh, they had an exemption in what they call the social chapter, which uh, concerned workers' rights, pay, and conditions. That was what our government made sure they had an exemption from. Then. When they talk about having a bonfire of red tape and everything after this transition period, look out for that one as being one of the ones they want to. Uh, because eventually they, they had to sign up to the social chapter, of course, when, uh, when uh, the Blair government got in in '97, they, they, mm -hmm. they, they, they signed up to the social chapter. But uh, I think this lot we're in now would probably want to revert to that again. But so this uh, is the yeah. start of a, of yeah. a sequence of yes. diplomatic moves to yeah. to constitute what has, for the most part of my lifetime, certainly been yeah. the. The European Union. Yes, yes, and of course, you know, there's only twelve countries, and it was going to expand a lot more uh, 
at our instigation, really. Uh, you know, most of the things we've we've asked for have, have been granted. You know, and uh, that was one of them. You know, expanding it, uh, the single market, of course, was a, a, a brainchild of Thatcher herself. But uh, anyway, that was Maastricht was was a big thing. Interestingly enough, uh, we're talking about um, uh, interesting things happening. I, I actually wrote in my diary on the 18th of April. I find this incredible that I would put this in a diary. I'll, I'll read it out verbatim. 18th of April. Went to went to ride to Birmingham with Janet and the boys. We went into the science museum, as well as all the shops and markets. I saw a beggar in the city centre. And I'll put in brackets. Sign of the times. Now, isn't that incredible to put that down as a diary entry? Because it must have been such a rare sight in 1992 to see somebody in a doorway, you know, begging. Homelessness. Yeah, homelessness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like beggars. Beggars is a bit of a pejorative term, isn't well, it? Well, yeah, but that's what it meant really. It was yeah. it's something that we see, you see everywhere now, and you don't bat an eyelid. Well, you, I, I do. It's awful. I mean, I, as you know, I've yeah. most yeah. recently moved back yeah. from from working in yeah. central London. Yeah, you you wouldn't go a street without seeing somebody no, in the right. doorway. Yeah. If you put days. that in your diary every time you saw that, you, you'd have nothing else in your diary, would you? <laughs> yeah, you'd, but in nineteen ninety two, it was such an unusual thing that it warranted a diary entry. <laughs> a few days later, in April, we got here in the diary. Euro Disney opened on the eleventh of April. Forget Maastricht. Yeah, forget. Uh, this yeah. is the real goings on. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Euro Disney, nineteen ninety two. So that's been open nearly well twenty eight years now. The House of Mouse. Yeah, and we've been, of course, with the, with you when you were younger, and uh, enjoyed it. I actually, uh, actually went there for a conference once with uh, with three M. Went to one of the Disney hotels. The spy work again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That, that was fun. You have to infiltrate your but, uh, I can remember. I can remember there being a lot of uh, controversy about it when they were deciding where to put it, uh, Euro Disney, because uh, there was a lot of resistance to it in France. Uh, I, I remember reading about the French are very, very proud of their culture. A lot of them thought it was a bit of an in, invasion of you know Western American sort of Americanism, Englishness, and uh, they'd, they'd lose a bit of their own sort of. French pride and culture, but uh, famous, you know now. Now Disney rule the world. Yeah, uh, resistance yeah. is futile. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. But yeah, there, there, there was a, a lot of there was a lot of push against it, a pushback against it in, in France because of uh, you know they, they were frightened of an erosion of their of their own uh, uh, culture, which that's is sort of Americanization, Americanization, yeah. yeah, of the world. While we're still in April, um, something that's very, very topical at the moment, there was the LA riots in, uh, in America, where uh, 63 people died and two, over 2,000 were injured when, when people went on a rampage after uh, the, uh, the police, policeman who'd uh, badly beaten up a uh, black motorist, uh, Rodney King, they were let off all charges and uh, that sparked riots and uh, of course now you've got the parallels with, with what's happening there at the moment with uh, George Floyd. Is it George Floyd? Yeah, George Floyd. So yeah, he's yeah. the 
he, well, Rodney King um, was in a similar situation in the sense that um, he was arrested and then there was some police brutality. Um, sadly, George Floyd, who is the subject of, of the brutality this time round, lost his life due to being, yeah. from the footage I've seen, having his, having his neck yeah, yeah. lent on for nine minutes yeah. and then saying something along the lines of, I, I can't breathe. Yeah. Um, and, and it was unarmed, very much like uh, yeah. Rodney Glenn King. So Rodney King was a construction worker. So this was in 1991. He was violently beaten by LAPD officers during his arrest. I've seen that. I've seen the, uh, they the actually had these batons and they absolutely pummeled him. Of course, that was, it was before the days of uh, everyone having camera phones and things like that. But somebody on a, a nearby balcony had got like a, a video camera and, and had recorded it. The year later, which was 1992, when the, the court case came up, they, uh, they let the police off with it, you know, despite this, this damning video evidence. So that's the, what sparked the, the riots. The riots themselves weren't about what happened to Rodney King at the time. It was about the, the, lack the acquittal. Of, the acquittal. Perceived lack of justice. Yeah, the perceived lack of justice, yeah. So uh, that's a warning for this this current one, I suppose. They better, they better do the right thing. You know, over over what the, the perpetrator of it, and uh, certainly the fellow who had the knee on knee on his neck needs to answer for it. I, I, I don't know whether you know the others who were with him uh, were as culpable, but uh, definitely the fellow who did it. I think it's one yeah. of the situations yeah. where those who are protesting. Yeah, I mean, you saw a similar situation in this country in uh, two thousand eleven mm -hmm. when uh, Mark Duggan. Was oh yes, was yes. killed, shot, yeah, and killed yeah. by yeah. Uh, police. I mean, the circumstances with that might have been slightly different, mm. but um, you still saw uh, race riots. Yes, in in, Over it. Yeah, in yeah. this country. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're seeing race riots in as a result of this, and of course we've got a very tense situation with the the president of the US at the minute being who he is. Yeah. Um. That's seemingly. Uh, you know, when, when the looting starts, the shooting starts and things yeah, like that yeah, are said. Yeah, yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of resistance to this idea mm. of the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement. You you know, you get opponents of that saying White Lives Matter as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is a bit of a, you know, kind of misses the point that a little bit, doesn't it? I think so, yeah. 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 Um, interestingly, with Rodney King, I think he's one of the people who coined, you know, the phrase, can't we all get along? Yeah. That seems to have come into the the public zeitgeist mm. off the back of what he said yeah, because yeah. he saw the rights himself. He didn't, yeah. he didn't condone them. Mm. Um, and it would have been interesting, you know, George Floyd can't be here sadly to speak for himself. No, no. Um, but Rodney King, um, who, who was attacked, he, he, he looked up with great sadness, I believe on what happened yes. with the LA yeah, riots yeah. Yeah. Uh, afterward and, and said, can't be, so, you know, to paraphrase, can't be, can't be get along. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, interestingly, Rodney King, Good sentiment. Red here, he, uh, he, he drowned later in life. Yes, he was, yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, who knows what sort of uh, effect these these things have on, on people, you know, living with racism all your life just have a profound effect on you, I should imagine. They, uh, they, they don't know what it's like. We're quite privileged, they are, really, to, to not know what it's like. Yeah, we seem to be scratching the surface yeah. a little bit with yeah. uh, our understanding of it as mm. 
white British people. Mm. Uh, so mm. yeah, it's, it'd be interesting to see, and the, the, the parallels are really, really, really yeah. stark yeah. In, in my opinion. Yeah. Anyway, it's just a, it's just in, in the diary. I've got it just as a a small sentence. I put race riots in LA and other parts of the USA over the verdict of videoed police brutality to a black motorist. Fascinating. Yeah. Happier things. We went to see the dinosaurs at the uh, the Science Museum in, in London. You and your brother, with uh, your mum and dad. It says right. here, dinosaurs and crown jewels. And crown jewels. Went to the Tower of London as well to see the crown jewels. So that was, uh, that was good fun. But I remember the dinosaurs. You, you were absolutely blown away by them because they got these animatronic ones there. You know, and because uh, it was like a real moving dinosaur to you, you were only six and your brother only four. Of course, you know what's coming next year, Dad. What? 1993. Oh, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Oh, so this, right. Yeah. This was part of my yeah, the dinosaur yeah, fetish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you absolutely were the last word in dinosaurs. You, you learned every single dinosaur's name and you could identify them by picture and tell us whether they were a vegetarian or a carnivore or where they lived and what period they came from. Herbivore, yeah. Yeah, oh, herbivore. What do you want to say? Vegetarian. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. veganosaurus or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you were an expert on dinosaurs from a young age. <laughs> I wanted to be a paleontologist for years until I found out it was a lot of lying on the ground with a toothbrush. Yeah. <laughs> brushing dirt off yeah. a, or something. Yeah. That reminds me of... Uh, so a hilarious episode uh, a few years ago, which will come up in one of the diaries, no doubt, but I'll just uh, allude to it here. Uh, our dog, Meg, big, she's, a, she's a big 40 kilogram uh, rotty. And uh, when she was only about two, she was, she was full, of, full of life and energy. I used to take her up uh, what we call the ash path in Witherley, which is a, a, a path that leads from the village a couple of miles all the way to a neighbouring village, Ratcliffe Cooley. Well, they, they found a, a Roman grave five years ago. And, uh, of course, the archaeologists came straight in when they found this lead coffin, which was buried about three foot below the surface. And these two fellas were in this, uh, doing exactly what you've just described. They'd got the, they were, with a teaspoon and a little toothbrush, they were clearing away every little speck of debris from underneath this uh, this lead coffin it was propped by just a few little sticks you know and uh, Meg I used to have her off a lead and she saw them and she bounded over this plough field with her and dived straight into the hole with these guys were and this I heard this far oh he went this far and she knocked he might be carefully excavating and it fell on his thumb this coffin <laughs> and this other fellow popped up out of the hole from the waist up this body just popped up out of the hole and said can't somebody get this bloody dog off <laughs> <laughs> so I was expecting Meg to come bounding across the view with a bone in her mouth you know <laughs> Betty Boothroyd she was uh, the Labour MP for West Bromwich and uh, in 1992 she was elected as Speaker of the House of Commons and she was the first ever woman Speaker and uh, she's very good. Uh, I, she, I've got good memories of, of her. She was, she was very strict. She didn't let the, any any of the, the men talk down to her or anything like that. She, 
So we put them in their place. So what's the, what's the role of the speaker? Most famously been made famous by John Burkow. Burkow's been uh, in a prominent position because of... Uh, There's the Speaker in the House of Parliament. So what's, what, yeah, what's, right, what's their role? Well, they, they, have to, they have to be impartial. Uh, you know, they come from... I mean, uh, Burkow was a, a Conservative MP who was made Speaker. And uh, Boothroyd, as I say, was a Labour. So they could come from either uh, party. But uh, they have to be impartial in their judgment and not favour anybody and uh, just ensure the rules are, are kept to, you know, and uh, the, the referees, if you like, in the uh, in the parliament. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, and uh, and, they, and they do, a, by and large, they, they do a, a, a good job, I think. Uh, the ones we've had in recent years. But Betty, Betty Boothroyd was the, the, the one I remember, really, from, from becoming aware of it. Uh, and in 1992, a very good speaker. I mean, I pay more attention to Parliament and things yeah. because of virtue of being older these days. But yeah. I remember seeing her. It was quite strange, the, the parliamentary black robes, and she had big glasses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and a big, big commanding voice. Oh, yes, she did. Yeah. Oh, yes, she, she didn't take any uh, nonsense. And uh, She's in the House of Lords now, I think. You know, she's still going strong. She's uh, probably a baroness or something they call them now, maybe. So first, first we had the first female prime minister, and then the first woman speaker. Yeah, yeah. So. and Margaret Thatcher was made a, a, a baroness actually in 1992. At the time, I remember doing night shift, and um, one day I couldn't get to sleep. One day in the, in the, the summer, the noise outside, the kids around the square. It was a lovely little square at the bottom of Martin Street. It was ideal for children to play in and uh, couldn't get their sleep. The noise was phenomenal outside. The main noise from all the kids was your voice above all others. You were, apparently you were playing pirates. You were out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then we, we led into the, the maker shutdown where we just stripped the machine down at work and I had a particularly dirty job. I can remember getting really filthy I was over like black up to my armpits. <laughs> Just to have a really long shower afterwards and scrub yourself. That went, that went on for a fortnight. That so what did you get like covered that. in? What was it? Yeah, it's just dirt, grease and oil and you know, the, the residue that built up in the, uh, in the, the oil and you know, get in there among the, uh, the timbers. I still contempt, despite your protest, my yeah. my job of commanding the seven seas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whilst you were trying to get to sleep, yeah. takes takes precedent. So I am sorry about that, but... <laughs> There was a job to be done. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't quell my imagination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyway, the good thing we went on holiday. Sounds like you needed one. I did, and we went to uh, we went to Brittany. We got the, the ferry from Portsmouth to St Malo. Towed a trailer with the camping equipment. So we're back in France again. Back in France again, yeah. And we ended up at uh, Karnak, which is on the southern coast of Brittany. We had a fortnight there. We enjoyed that. Ponies to ride and like uh, goats and ducks and geese. It was, a, it was a real nice campsite we were on. It had a, like a, a prehistoric monuments nearby as well called the Menhir Stones, which were a sort of Stonehenge type thing. Remember wandering among them. And in, in that uh, after that holiday, we had a, a weekend as we quite often did in them those days at the, in Blackpool, uh, where we took the, the, the nan and granddad Cheshire with us. We went to the, the Pembroke Hotel up, uh, up the North End. It was one of the big conference hotels that was. You had the Grand and you had the Pembroke. Like the, uh, 
the political parties used to take them over when we used to have uh, conferences in Baku and uh, really, really plush hotel. Had a nice, uh, nice time there. Blackpool was absolutely packed, seething with people. I remember driving down the uh, the promenade to see the illuminations. It took us an hour and a half to drive through the the whole lot. There's, there's so many people and so much crowds and traffic. But uh, it has been like that for well for decades since. I mean, it's been run down now. In Blackpool, for since for yeah. the turn of the twentieth century, was certainly yeah. uh, one of the primary seaside destinations for a lot of uh, British families, I would suppose. Yeah, yeah, we were no different, but uh, I think I think that, uh, you know, it became a bit tired and old, sad and boring, people would go abroad more. And, uh, it's quite a seedy place last time, I was very, Yeah, very much so. I can remember, yeah, it's sort of stagnating Hindus now, isn't it, for the weekends, seaside, always stuck, always Tickled us when we saw that there, that sign outside that shop on the front that said in big bold black letters on the white background, we sell fags. <laughs> that's that's some black pool. <laughs> fags being cigarettes for yes. uh, avoidance of doubt there. Yeah. <laughs> Chips with everything and uh, but I mean that Pem that Pembroke Hotel was really nice. I remember it had a, a piano lounge and, and uh, you know quite plush choice of restaurants to go in. And, uh, huge, great play area for kids in it. It's a nice hotel. There's a bit of a story that comes off another holiday trip. Yes. Which uh, yes. Has, uh, has a well, bit of intrigue about it. Yes, that's very true. The subject of holidays, um, uh, your auntie Sheila uh, had, a, had, a, had a boyfriend in 1992 called Davy. Who, uh, who was from Newcastle, actually. And uh, she actually, this year, she went to the Isle of Man TT, races with him in, uh, in June, and had the time of her life. Really, really enjoyed it. And uh, he, came, he came down to see us earlier in the year, in April as well, to visit. And uh, he brought a pal with him, but he, his pal didn't come with him. His, his, his pal flew down in his own microlight. His name was Fred, and he had a two-seater, tiny little microlight thing, went out 60 mile an hour. As the crow flies, literally, he landed in uh, Stoke Golden. And they're those things that are like a hang glider with a... Yeah, like hang a hang glider with, a, with an engine, yeah. yeah. But it, this was quite a good one. It had a, like a two-seater two affair. And he, he actually took Sheila up in it. I remember Sheila telling us she was absolutely... At the time of her life, went up in this microlight, uh, circled around... The A5 round the Redgate and uh, the Myra area and whatnot, uh, that sort of area, about 3,000 feet. Stunning so, views, no doubt. Yeah, fantastic views. You could see Addison and everywhere, you know. It was, uh, she said it was, it was tremendous. So, yeah, the might like. But the interesting thing about that uh, that relationship was uh, that she'd... Uh, She'd been with her friends to uh, Remord, Port Remord, we've mentioned in, in the previous podcast. She went with Sue and Helen and uh, Loretta. In southern met, France. In southern France. They met these lads there, you see. And uh, Loretta actually met a, a New Zealander, ended up getting engaged to him, and later on marrying him. And uh, she emigrated to New Zealand with this, uh, this fella, and uh, ended up having children. So uh, what I'm leading up to, 
really is uh, I want to talk about cause and effect and uh, what you would call like chaos theory or the butterfly effect. Is it? You've heard of that? Yeah, the butterfly effect is the idea that every action has a consequence somewhere along the line. The theory being that a butterfly can flap its wings on one side of the world and that creates a typhoon on the other side of the world. So minimal. My, my first experience of this is... Uh, and I don't know whether it comes from this, it's from a story by Ray Bradbury uh, called A Sound of Thunder. But tell your story and we'll see how how this fits. Well, the consequence was Sheila and a friend having these relationships. The the butterfly flapping his wings, if you like. Me and my friend, John Smith and Martin Harden, in a Ford Cortina, paused at a traffic light in St. Maxim on the south coast of France, looking at the traffic lights, so the uh, municipal road system of St. Maxim and its uh, traffic control was the butterfly flapping its wings and the relationships that ensued with Sheila and her friends were the consequences. <laughs> because we decided we didn't know where we were going, me and my friends, in St. Maxim. And we watched these traffic lights and if the green main light came on, we were going to go straight on, which would lead us east along the coast road. And if it had, the filter light came on first, we would end up going west along the coast road. Well, the filter light came on first and off we went west along the coast road. If the other light had come on, we'd have gone the other way. And you ended up in Grimaud. We ended up in Port Grimaud for the first time. This was 1977. Might have been 1978. But uh, we were just, you know, 20, 21 years old. We were in an old Ford Cortina which used to be the family car. It was a Cortina 1300L. And uh, another funny aside is uh, your grandma, when she first picked the registration, uh, she said, what's a bull, a Cortina bull? And I said, give us that here. And I took it off of the paper and uh, she'd looked at the one and the three, which were written down, almost touching each other. It looked like a B. And the, uh, of course, the 100L afterwards became the bull. From forever, forever after that, that car was the bull. You know, get the bull out, we're going up the town. <laughs> <laughs> Cortina 3 at 1300 out. We ended up in Port Grimaud, me and the lads. And uh, with what well, this place is fantastic, paradise, we have to tell everybody about it. Which we did, of course. The following, the following year, 78, went down again. But uh, this time I went with Sheila and uh, with your mum. And uh, we had a, a good time again. Of course, the seeds had been planted then, and Sheila, you know, wanted to go with her friends. And uh, she, she went several times. She ended up going more, been there more times than I have now. But uh, if we hadn't gone that first time and observed those traffic lights the way we did, it uh, it might never have happened. It might never have gone. So let, let me get this straight. You're 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 claiming yeah that. The, co- the causation of these children being alive yeah. is due to some traffic light style butterfly effect yes. that you had a part in in the south of France. Exactly, yes. yes. Okay. Yes, because I raved about the place and we took your mum and Sheila there, uh, you know, myself, and Sheila was hooked from then on. But we probably would never have gone there if it hadn't been for that first sort of mystery tour, if you like, with, uh, with me and Don and Martin. 
Because <laughs> yeah. what, what I mentioned, I, I, yeah. as an English teacher, there's a story yeah. called um, A Sound of Thunder, mm. which is by Ray Bradbury. And the butterfly effect is, yeah. what, I don't think it is one of the sources, but it's, it's one of the people cite it as the source where this guy goes to hunt a T-Rex back oh, in right. time. He can time travel. All right. <laughs> uh, but because he doesn't obey the rules and, and yeah. doesn't stick to the plan, he ends up killing this butterfly All right. in the past. Yeah. And as a result, a completely different political party, when he returns to the future, creates this sort of dystopian nightmare. Yeah. So yeah. in your instance, yeah. your butterfly moment, yeah. you are responsible, hopefully, for this yes. wonderful yes. Yeah. group of people. Yes, <laughs> yes. It just so could have gone yeah. the other way by the sound of things. If you're going to cite the butterfly effect, you're going to have to take the rough with the smooth, I think. Oh, okay then. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. let's just let's just yeah. hope. Let's yeah. just hope yeah. what you're saying yeah. is 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 all positive. And yeah. it sounds it. That's fascinating. I think that idea that your actions in the past and you've got countless actions in these diaries yeah, yeah. can can resonate into oh, the oh, yes, yeah. the future in yeah. some way. Yeah. And that that wasn't our first trip actually when we went to. Uh, to the St. Maxim uh, traffic lights. We'd been uh, the year before as well, as, as early as, well, two years before, 1975, when we first went. And uh, but we never ended up at Fort Gamut. There was two carloads of us then. When I say cars, there were Reliant Regal Supervans, the Delboy <laughs> car. Can you imagine two of them in convoy in the south of France. Three-wheel convoy. Yeah, there were six of us. Six wheels. Yeah, six of us split into the two cars, packed up with, with luggage, two, two, two Boy vans, <laughs> and we ended up uh, all the way down the south of France. We're in Marseille, Marseille, which was uh, France's second city, you know, the, the port on the uh, Mediterranean. I remember it was rush hour, and again, we were at traffic lights, just chugging away at these traffic lights, one car behind the other, one three-wheeler behind the other, and... Uh, I was waiting for the lights to change to green. The, the French traffic lights don't really have an amber, they just go like red, green. And then everybody leans on the horns if you don't move immediately. Well, <laughs> the traffic lights changed to green. And the, I put my foot on the, the accelerator and the car fell over. <laughs> it fell to the side. Uh, what happened was uh, the leaf spring and the rear axle snapped, just snapped in two. And the wheel disappeared up into the wheel arch, and the, and the car fell over to the left and uh, jammed in, inside the car body, and it wouldn't move. And uh, of a cacophony of noise, of people shouting and screaming at us and leaning on their horns. We had to pick the car up and carry it onto the pavement. <laughs> They're not too heavy, those cars. After much head scratching, we actually repaired the leaf spring by... Uh, by getting two spanners to use a splint either side of the leaf spring and wrapping half a dozen Jubilee clips around the spanners. So anybody who's... Safe as houses. ...as a maintenance or engineering uh, bent among, among the listeners will, uh, will appreciate that uh, codge up. And uh, anyway, it worked, and we managed to drive, uh, drive all the way back home. And... Uh, I was so confident of it in the end, I, I drove for another three or four weeks like that once we got back to, uh, to, to England. 
<laughs> well, let, well let, that let, was let, the first. That was the first time we we ever went down there, and uh, it was the second journey when we when we actually did the uh, the traffic light uh, guesswork and ended up at uh, Port Grimaud when we had the uh, Cortina. Well, who knows? Maybe yeah. your accident delayed some tragedy. Yeah. Maybe it's oh. some sliding doors moment yeah. where. Sliding doors, now that's it. I, I like the sliding doors. Uh, that's a perfect uh, thing to come up with because uh, if anyone's ever seen that film with Gwyneth Paltrow in it, Sliding Doors, that, that sums up what we're talking about perfectly. A choice between uh, going one way or the other. Let's hope it was yeah. more... Got nothing to do with cheating and oh, uh, yeah. a beautiful relationship blossomed. Yeah. Again. Yeah. yeah. Thanks to your uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. your three-wheeler packing in. <laughs> yes. yes yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the three-wheeler and then the, the bull. Remember the bull? Cortina 1300L. And then uh, we did it again. With, with Gluttons for Punishment, we did it again in 1978 with uh, in a Ford Granada. With uh, it was just me and the girls, me. Sheila and uh, your mum, and uh, that's what that's when we we actually went to Port Grimaud for the second time I did, and, and Sheila saw it, you know, and we uh, we ended up uh, on a grand tour then, had a great time. It's been the family's been back many times since flying down there and uh, or, or going in hired motorhomes, but uh, yeah, it was an interesting concept, the uh, the chaos theory. Uh, yeah, the eighties and the late eighties, which we've just left in the diaries. Yeah. Of course, the the mining industry was a huge industry in this country for many years. Yeah. And a huge yeah. impact on our family life, I would imagine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yes. Well, the, the, one of the reasons why I came down to live down in the middle was your your granddad Charlie was the the, the, the pits were closing and uh, he, you know he was going to be made redundant, so. Uh, we came down to live in the Midlands, and uh, so back in 1992, what's the story? With well, the 1992, the, the North Warwickshire coal field, you know, uh, was coming drawing to its its end. Really, uh, quite a few of the the mines had closed. Birch uh, Coppice closed in 1986. Uh, Badsley Colliery closed in 1989, and in 1992. 600 redundancies were announced at uh, Door Mill, which was one of the, uh, the biggest deep mine coal mines in the country at the time. And uh, the National Coal Board was uh, was no more in 1992. They'd been privatised, become British Coal. So a much slimmed down operation. And they actually, in 1992, announced 31,000 redundancies. Of uh, miners in, in Britain, and uh, they, were, they were going to close thirty-one of the uh, of the deep mine pits, of the, about fifty left at the time, and of course Door Mill uh, couldn't escape it, and, and it was in September actually six hundred miners lost their jobs, and uh, I think it, it was slimmed down to a very very skeletal staff after that, you know something like one hundred and fifty or two hundred people left. It went until 2013, actually, Door Mill, because it was one of the very last ones to, to, to shut. As late as that? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
but uh, it, it, it had a fire actually. Dormill had a fire that raging under underground that I couldn't put out. That was one of the reasons it they had to shut it in the end. But uh, in nineteen ninety two was the was the start of the big change. You know the uh, privatisation of the of what was left of the mining industry and uh, uh, a lot of redundancies at uh, at Dormill. And I should imagine today. Uh, we, we still live in a world where fossil fuels are yeah. the main. Where, where do we get our, our coal and our our fuel for power stations now? Well, well the, most of the, the 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 power stations now are, are gas turbine, you know, so they, they use gas. And uh, so things like fracking. And, and we've got the, uh, the 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 renewable energy. We've got the uh, the the, the, the the windmills you see them springing up absolutely everywhere now. But, uh, I think we had a week uh, recently where it was complete, the, the country was completely powered by the renewable uh, wind uh, power and, and the green energy, which is phenomenal, really. So in 1992, that was uh, a, a big, big change in. Uh, in the coal industry, definitely, and actually, the the miners' welfare, which was uh, one of the the most popular clubs in uh, in Atherston, was pulled down, demolished in 1992. So, if you go along uh, what we call Woolpack Way in Atherston now, you see the row of flats at the at the top on uh, uh, South Street. That's uh, that's where the miners' welfare used to be. And it was demolished in 1992. So, I suppose yeah. it's quite symbolic in itself. Yeah, yeah. It was also, if we think about, you know, you've got the miners and you've got the working people there. It was also a bit of a rough year for her match. Yes, the, the, the Queen. Actually, in the Queen's speech in, in December, at the end of the year. <coughs> <coughs> oh, excuse me. It's all right. Oh, sorry about that. The Queen's speech at the end of the year, she uh, she referred she referred to nineteen ninety two as a annus horribilis, which is uh, the, the worst ever year, and uh, it's partly due to the fact that uh, early in the year, uh, uh, Andrew and Sarah Ferguson had announced they were going to split and divorce, and then uh, later in the year, Charles and Di. Did the same, so they were going to split and divorce. So both of her sons, uh, elder sons, were, were you know, marriages were on the rocks. The Duke of York and the Pr Prince of Wales. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and uh, it was compounded by the fact in November, uh, Windsor Castle burned down. It was a terrible fire at Windsor Castle, and um, everybody kicked up. Saying, well, we, why well, we got to pay for this? You know, we got to pay for it. The taxpayers are going to have to foot the bill. And uh, there was such a furore about it that uh, the pressure came to bear on the, the Queen that uh, she had to agree to pay tax, which was a, a first for a monarch to actually, over the, over the centuries, the monarchs had collected the taxes in. And uh, this was the first time one had been asked to actually pay a tax. So she had to pay income tax, her Madge, in 1992 uh, to placate the uh, 
the Republican hordes, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, and as horrible as she called it in the Queen's speech, and that was why. <laughs> and I'm sure. I mean, yeah. paying taxes is, is is one thing, but yeah. uh, looking at that, I mean, the people are big fans of the royal family in this country, yeah. uh, and there's, there's like you say, there is Republican yeah. opinion as well. But we are a we are a monarchy, a constitutional monarchy. Oh yeah, yeah. I've watched the crown. I've watched the crown, and it's made me warm to her a little bit. Watching <laughs> the crown, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not quite as an ardent Republican as I used to be. So did Charles, <laughs> Charles and Diana did they divorce in this year, or did they announce the divorce? Yeah, they announced it. The, the both couples announced that they were going to part. I think they they actually parted, but they weren't divorced. Yet. So okay. uh, I don't think Fergie uh, and Andrew didn't actually divorce in 1996. So uh, this is this is the year when the splits occurred. So I'm sure that will come up. Oh yes, in the the 90s is is, yeah. is plagued with such stories. It is yes. Uh, yes. But the yeah. anus yeah. horribilis. Yes. You know Latin phrase not to be confused with horrible anus. <laughs> oh, no, sure we wouldn't could, accuse could, Her Majesty of that. I'm sure not. she's yeah. got very <laughs> regal. Big thing of, of, of 1992, we had the Barcelona Olympics, which were a resounding success. Everybody thought they. Uh, it was the, the first time that nearly every country was represented. In, uh, because prior to that, you'd had boycotts, you know, the, the Russians had boycotted the Atlanta Olympics and the Americans had boycotted the Moscow Olympics and uh, you, you'd had the Berlin Wall fall down by now and uh, the Soviet Union had collapsed. So that, that had created a, a dozen or so new countries which all wanted to... Have their own teams in the Olympics. So who would that be? What sort of countries are we talking about in 1992? Well, the, the former Soviet republics, you know, they, they used Dagestan and Dagestan and different Estans. <laughs> <laughs> There's Kazakhstan. Quite a few of them, isn't there? Ukraine, probably, and uh, Turkmenistan and Latvia. Yeah, oh, Latvia, the, the Baltic states, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, all, the, all those. Just yeah. looking at a map here yeah, now, yeah, folks. Yeah, well, I'm glad you the map on the wall. <laughs> but uh, anyway, there was a lot more countries, and so it was, it was really successful in that respect. And uh, we had uh, our, our Linford Christie won the uh, the gold medal for 100 metres at uh, the age of 31, which was a good achievement for, 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 for him and for us. The opening ceremony was graced by. Uh, the opera singer uh, Montserrat Cabal singing the, the wonderful Barcelona opera song, which people will probably be familiar with, which was uh, co-written with uh, the now late uh, Freddie Mercury. Who, who died uh, in 1991. the year before. But uh, it was, it was uh, performed with gusto by her for the, uh, the opening ceremony. So what was so what was such a you said it was a successful Olympics? You mentioned the Olympic Christie. And all the African countries as well, lots of lots more than more of them than ever. So it was a it was a real success. I don't know where uh, I, I think we, we still still didn't have the, the the athletics teams that we would would to go on and have at this stage. But uh, So this is like pre GSNS, pre Yes, yes. yes. Oh yeah, well before you should probably would she be even born? Yes. Yeah, or she'd be born. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, so it was a successful uh, Olympics in, uh, in uh, 
Corinthian spirit and world view of people coming together uh, in peace and harmony, etc. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, one thing I noticed, Dad, is yeah. you've uh, you're at times you want to do a bit of retrospective revision because you you slip up from time to time. Yeah. On in November, I think. You talk, you, the, famously, you go to Newcastle Games. And oh, you, yes, yes. You, yeah. So let's read Wednesday, the 4th of November. Mum's at the doctor's. Yeah. So she's well now. Yeah. She's, she's, yeah. she's alive and well, so that's yeah. all good. Um, but you went to the match with Daz, Doc and Andy yeah. and Rob. Brum, Birmingham 2, Newcastle United 3. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. arguably wasn't the most important thing that happened that day. Well, no, I... But to my credit, I didn't miss out the important thing that happened uh, <laughs> because it, obviously Newcastle winning away at Birmingham was what filled my head that day. <laughs> uh, because we by this time we were on the Kevin Keegan bandwagon and we were winning every game virtually. And uh, I put as a retrospective a week later on Wednesday the eleventh. I don't think I have written that Bill Clinton has won the US elections recently to become president-elect, beating George Bush, that's George Bush Sr., and Ross Perot. So, so they are, that should have happened on the 4th, when all I was talking about was Newcastle beating Germany. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a big international event, that was. Uh, Bill Clinton uh, you know, became, was, was about to become president, a famous... Uh, Couple of terms he had. I think he had two terms, two full terms. Yeah, a very, yeah, yeah. a very successful and a very yeah. well remembered president. Yes, of the US. Yeah. So there we have it. Mean sax player as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a new saxophone playing president. Yeah. Newcastle, you know, history is written by the winners. Yeah. Newcastle winning late on. Yeah. In the year. Yeah. We've got twelve new countries and yeah. a successful yeah. Olympics. The Queen's now paying tax. So. Yeah. Yeah, I've got that. The Queen has volunteered to pay tax, it says in the diary. On on your mum's birthday, that was, when she the, the Queen volunteered to pay tax. So uh, she was 36, your mum. 36 on, on the 26th of November, and the Queen had volunteered to pay tax, it says in the entry. So a big day <laughs> for Mother and yeah. Republicanism in this country. Yeah. Um, well, there you have it. So that's yeah. 1992. That was pretty jam-packed, Dad. It was, yeah. yeah. I mean, there was a couple of things that we. I mean, the, the you know, Serbia was going in turmoil at the time with the uh, the Yugos, breakup of Yugoslavia, and uh, the IRA was still up to their tricks and uh, it, it killed a few people. To put it lightly, to talk all day about uh, about what 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 other things happened, but uh, we've we've condensed into what uh, what was important, you know, to. Us locally, and uh, with a few, a few more global insights. Because that's so, our job here yeah. at the Half Life of Brian. We're going to cover it all. We've got more to come. Nineteen ninety three is up next, as we've un- inferred. Yeah. Uh, Jurassic Park here. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, well, you love that the dinosaurs. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, but we're going to cover it all as Dad's inferred. Inferred. Local, global, critical, trivial. Yeah. We're going to look at it year by year, up until. 2020 itself mm-hmm. and beyond here on the Half-Life 
of Brian podcast. So do keep your ears open and your an eye on your podcast feed mm-hmm. for our next efforts. Now, if people want to get in touch with the podcast or they want to see, you know, the wider law of what goes on around all things Brian, mm-hmm. um, where can they find us, Dad? On Twitter, uh, the Half Life of Brian. Yeah. yeah. Anywhere else? On Facebook. Yeah. At Half Life of Brian, Brian as well. Yeah. On Facebook. Well, on Instagram. Likewise, the same at Half Life of Brian. Uh, we're also um, I'm working on some animations for an YouTube. upcoming YouTube account as well. So yeah, the Half Life of Brian podcast will be hitting YouTube as well as uh, its own website yeah, very good. soon as well. So we're going to take on the web. We're going to take on 1993 next time round. Yeah. With talk of Batman Returns and Adam West earlier. Oh yes. I think let's end in true. Superhero style. Join us again. Same Bry time. Same Bry channel. Bry for now, everybody. Bye bye. Bye bye. Can't somebody get this bloody dog off?